0: You're tuned in to RX Radio. Movement prescribed. Brought to you by Prescript.com.
1: A personalized approach to keeping you healthy and making your best even better. Your hosts, Dr. Jordan Shallow
2: and Dr. Jordan Ginta.
0: What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of RX Radio. Um, you know, always lucky when we get to sit down with these guys. Um, you know, sitting down with Steph and Haid uh, for me has been such a blessing over the last couple of years. Like, these dudes are—they're just, just on another level. And to be able to call these guys friends is really like a blessing. Like, just you know, you sit back at at night when the when the reps are over and the and the weights are rocked and all that, and you just get to kind of bullshit about books you've read or places you've been. Um, pretty lucky to be able to have these guys uh, as friends on the speed dial, sort of thing. Uh, but really cool topic. They bring on their head coach of the nutrition, uh, hybrid performance nutrition, Francesco. Francesco's um, just an ace. Like to me, he's undoubtedly the leading voice in nutrition in the fitness industry. Um, and, and like most smart people, he's super modest and keeps to himself. Um, but I'm going to pump Jesco's tires. Whenever I have a question, Chesco's um, kind of in the network where I can just reach out and, and ask him. And he's always willing and, and, and eager to help um, when it comes to nutrition. Like We spent 26 hours in a car. Me, Chesco, and Hayde. We drove from... Well, they spent longer, actually. They drove from Toronto to Windsor, picked me up. And then we drove from Windsor, Windsor to Columbus, Ohio. And then we trained at Westside. And then we got back in the car with like, all of Hayden's worldly possessions, and we drove, oh, fuck, I don't know, yeah, like 26 hours straight shot through Miami. And I say we, Hayden took the wheel for most of it, uh, but Chesco was second in command, and I was in the back asleep with the dog. Um, so actually, I, I did nothing. I think I drove for like three hours. Um, but on that like 24-hour, 36-hour drive, I uh, was able to learn so much about... Just nutrition and, and and energy systems and stuff and stuff like you know I've read about the stuff before but it's 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 always amazing to hear people who know so much who are able to relay so much and Chesco is is definitely that he's one of those he's one of those sort of brilliant minds that gets to contextualize everything and, and bring it down to a level that's very palatable and also brings you up to a level that's a little bit more elevated um, so just great to like I don't know just kick it around with with some good friends. On a topic that I think is important now more than ever. And and sort of the value that nutrition coaching brings just outside of, oh, like, write me a fucking diet, you know. Um, So, yeah, awesome time uh, chopping it up with these guys. You know, I've been working with hybrid nutrition now. Shit, it's almost coming on a year. I think January of last year, I started working with Ian Daniel, uh, one of their nutrition coaches. and I've been lucky enough to get to meet a lot of these guys and girls personally. Um, and, And you really can't miss... One of their newer coaches, Simon Chang, he came to Vegas uh, with me and we, we hung out at the Olympia. He's you know, another one of these guys that just operates on another level across the board. Like how you do one thing is how you do everything. Like the, 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 re- the same reason that they're shredded is the same reason they're smart is the same reason that they're organized and strong. Like they're just on top of their shit across the board. And, and you couldn't ask for better coaches. So, you know, again, we don't, we don't do ads on the show, right? Like, I don't fucking sit here and talk about Best Buy, and like, or the middle of the show, we break to some random fucking, you know, paleo, whatever the fuck. Like, we bring on cool people that do good shit in the industry, and these are some of the best people doing some of the best shit, in my opinion. Um, it, you know, nothing nothing but love for the dudes at Hybrid. Uh, Steph and Hayden, and the whole team over there in Miami, plus all their team of coaches online, if you guys are on the fence about it, like I was 290 when I started with them. When I competed in June, I was hovering a little bit over two, or under 250 pounds. Um, and it was one of my better performances on the platform. So, um, I mean, take it firsthand from me. Um, but yeah, head on over and check out uh, uh slash nutrition, I believe. Uh, put all the stuff in the show notes. Uh, great conversation. Definitely worth sharing around. Uh, A lot of good points to be made, especially with the current trends in the industry based around nutrition. So, uh, yeah, without any further ado, uh, Francesco Catalano, Steffi Cohen, uh, Hayden Bowe, uh, and me, myself. um, And, yeah, just, uh, just a good chat. We'll see you guys next week.
3: How's it going, guys? Welcome to a Prescript podcast. This is Love your it. host. Been
0: friends for like Steffi three years. Cohn. Doesn't even know the name of the fucking podcast. Unbelievable. It's fine. Continue.
3: RX Radio. Thank
0: you. It's <laughs> only her like third or fourth time on the okay, show.
3: Yeah, let's redo. We're mean, not going to it. It's rolling. At this point, it's my podcast.
0: Wow. It's a bold it. statement. <laughs> seeing someone who, uh, please, you have the floor.
3: <laughs> we needed a podcast, so we might as well just Go steal on. this All one. Right? Right? The this shit? is like my fourth time here.
0: Worth You're a co-host at this point. <laughs> <People pretty laughs> You're a recurring, recurring segment. segment. My Welcome to the Mel- Merv Griffith Show, <laughs> Steffi Cohen.
3: <laughs> Welcome to RX Radio. This is your host, Steffi Cohen. Today on the podcast, we have Dr. Jordan Shallow.
0: <laughs> As per usual, thank
1: you.
3: Hayden Bow and Francesco Catalano. Really interesting group of people here. Um, we wanted to come in and talk about a few things today related to nutrition. I was actually talking to Jordan recently about how um, I feel like we have things that we want to say here at Hybrid about our programs and about our our nutrition approach, but we don't really have a channel to do so. So that's why I'm, I'm here stealing the show today um, to talk a few things with some of my, uh, my teammates. Hello, Thanks for guys. having us on the show. Yeah. Thank you.
0: No Everybody's <laughs> <laughs> waiting for the animal segment. For stuff to come on with, like, small alligators and tarantulas and shit. Um, yeah, no, I think a lot gets said behind the walls here that we, we you don't realize the value of it because the people you surround yourself with. Because, like, I think some of the smartest stuff, like, around health and nutrition and training gets said just on the couch or in the office. And it's like, you're like, oh, yeah, it's just kind of been passing. But you guys don't realize, like, how valuable that information is in an industry with, like, so much noise, mm-hmm. especially around the nutrition stuff right now with, like, nutrition taking on, like, a, like a religious ethos right like with that what was that new movie that came out did the you game see that? changer game changer we, we started that last night did you yeah.
2: Did you yeah. no, you saw it already right? i have
1: not but okay. i've only heard good things about it about the production and people really buying into it well like who was behind it james cameron actually yeah he produced it or directed it so wait like the guy from
0: avatar to that's the right. vegan yeah. ragtag film propaganda nonsense
1: that's why it was so believable interesting Okay, so what was the takeaway? What was the crux of it? That everybody has uh, some sort of stake in vegan or plant-based products. I think Arnold has a a plant-based supplement um, company. I think James Cameron also has some sort of stake. Uh, If you look into who put money into it or who was interviewed, they all had some sort of stake in the plant-based industry. So So that that, that was your take
2: from it, with looking through it without a bias? Yeah, and from what 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 i heard
1: from other people, it was like they followed a bunch of people, and, like, they were very successful, but they failed to mention the thousands of more other athletes who were just as or more successful on an omnivore diet. Like, they were eating not just meat, but plants as well.
2: Right. So it was really pushing the vegan. And
1: yeah. Agenda. And I think one big one that I hear all the time was that Conor McGregor lost the fight to that other person. I forget his name, but because he was on a plant-based diet. Wait. Yeah,
3: that was the introduction. Remember in the introduction, the first ten minutes, they have a scene with McGregor and he's saying about how he eats meat for breakfast, meat for lunch, meat for snack. Well, because he
2: wasn't on a plant based. Right. So the guy who he beat him—that's why he lost. You yes. know his, his competitor was. Well, who was it? I don't remember. So it wasn't Khabib. Well, I know Nate Diaz is a big. uh It was Nate Diaz. A big plant based advocate. <laughs> yeah, because he gets pop for
0: smoking dope for it <laughs> after every fucking fight. Hey, that's, that's a plant. Yeah, remember? but I mean, like, <laughs> there's no room in a film like that for context or nuance or like critical
2: thinking it's just like it's one side or the other yeah i think it's tough because if you go into it with uh you know skepticism as you should with i think any sort of film or or piece of content that you look at or read or whatever things start to jump out at you that don't necessarily fit the way they should but if you're somebody who doesn't know anything about it or you're somebody who's just uh you know looking to learn and absorb things and isn't a skeptic. It's very easy to go into a film like that and be convinced that what they're saying is true. It all sounds very true. They're providing real-life examples of people before and after who have had positive results from going plant-based, but it's taking a really small piece of the picture like you said and not maybe highlighting people who had omnivore diets or other sort of diets that may have done even better.
1: Mhm. Absolutely. And I think like most people don't know that documentaries are the, like the last place you should look for any sort of credible information There should be starting place if you're interested. And then you can kind of take it from there. What, you know, what information you want to look more into, or, you know, confirm that those things that they said were factual or correct.
2: Yeah. It could also be a bit of an echo chamber too. You know, if I'm vegan now all of a sudden I go and I, I have my, my thesis already decided. And now I just watch a bunch of documentaries on veganism. Uh, in order to support the idea that vegan is the way to go, then all I'm going to be doing is reaffirming my beliefs.
1: Mm-hmm. Well,
0: the hard part with that is, like, you want to talk about layers of evidence. It's like most people, yeah, they don't discern layers of evidence within a film, not even looking at confirmation bias. Like, if you didn't know James Cameron had skin in the game, and Arnold had skin in the game, and all the contributors had some sort of predetermined, premeditated confirmation bias in the success of the film you have a very low like on the rung of the ladder of evidence very low almost like non-even existent power of evidence in something like a documentary film existing in a hierarchy that at the top of it has you know scientific research if you can't discern levels of 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 validation through those two tiers then you'll have no chance in hell in even examining the research because there's levels of validation within research itself Mm -hmm. right like uh if you don't understand power or P scores, if you don't understand difference versus, or or like causal inference, or if you don't understand like how to actually analyze research, like there are research articles where people go, oh no, it's scientifically proven that, you know, eating meat gives you cancer. It's like, well, can you, can you infer from that research? Can you qualify or validate the research, right? So most people, if they're trying to make a decision, like, I guess to pull a question out of this, for you guys that are like in the nutrition space with hybrid nutrition,
2: How do you start to help navigate people through the noise? Uh, I think a big part of it is listening to people when they come to you originally. What have they tried in the past? What's worked for them? What hasn't worked for them? What biases do they already have? And how can you take all of that information and sort of gently ease them away from the things that aren't evidence-based and that might not be to their benefit and switch those ideas with things that are... You know, scientifically backed things that we've seen work in the past, things that we, we know are better for them long term. But I mean, Chesco can dive really deep into that with the questionnaires. We, have, we, we ask people a ton of questions that sort of give us that background information. But a good example of the wrong way of doing things would be somebody comes to you and they say, Hey, I'm a plant based uh, uh, advocate. You know, I've been vegan the last 10 years and, uh, you know, I, I want help from you guys. You see a lot of times in the industry, people choosing one side or the other, and they'll take somebody like that and say, "Uh, sorry, we don't really think that's the best way to do it. Let's make you a carnivore. And like, that's a ridiculous flip from one end of the spectrum to the other. And it's not something that someone in that situation is likely to adhere to or buy into. So it's, it's taking a gradual approach, working with the ideas that people already have to make the best plan that they can actually follow and something that they're actually gonna believe in. So it centers around sustainability. Every, I mean, it, it, it's this... That's the
3: premise behind any diet. Right? Yeah,
2: what's the quote that everybody's heard? You know, the best diet is the diet that you can actually adhere to. So. Is, how
1: do you find that? You ask them questions. Figure out where they've been, where they are now, and meet them in the middle. You know, maybe they have more of a plant-based diet and they're missing, you know, not getting enough protein. You know, we meet them in the middle, get them to where they eventually, where they are getting enough sort of thing or... Um, If this person comes from a keto background, but we know their goals are also performance based, we're going to try to get them to more carbs, but slowly introduce that so that they're again, like Hayden said, like gently move them to the direction that you want.
2: What
0: noise seems to permeate the greatest in overcoming objections with new clients with hybrid nutrition? Like you mentioned keto, you mentioned carnivore. What prevailing trends and like I like to call diet identities do you guys see the most in overcoming with new clients?
1: I think it's just the idea of having too many carbs. Having too many carbs and too much sugar. Like, once people start tracking, they kind of start to see numbers, but they fail to realize that you're coming to us because, you know, those problems were issues or, you know, you were consuming too many carbs and sugars beforehand, but now that you're aware of a number, you're now hyper focusing on those things. I think it's now too
2: much. Yeah, I think, I think um, to add to your point, people have oftentimes never tracked their intake before. So, they see a number like a starting number, like 250 carbs, and they think that that's a crazy number. But in reality, maybe they were eating 350 carbs coming into that. They just have no idea, you know, or they show their buddy at the gym and they go, whoa, 250 carbs that who, and their buddy has never tracked either. Yeah, be
1: honest. You 250 know. sounds like a big number. You don't know anything, 250. Yeah. Man, that's more than 200. That
2: <laughs> a lot. <laughs> it's a lot of ones. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so I think, uh, the biggest obstacle is not necessarily one specific diet preference or fad diet or anything like that, but just taking people's preconceived notions of what they think good nutrition is or, you know, the thing, the propaganda they've bought into in the past. Right. Because people,
3: people are always looking for the, for the easy and the quick fix. Right. I think that as consumers, everyone is responsible for one what kind of information they're taking in two how they're interpreting that information you know there's so much there's so much out there and it's just like how can you discern what's true from what's not right and in the end i think for me it's like one of one of the things that i've i've learned through just getting better critical thinking is like all right first of all who is presenting that information like who is talking to me what kind of um Authority yeah, what kind of authority they have and and what's their? Why are they talking to me about this particular topic? Are they trying to sell something to me? What are their biases and In that process, you know, you you can you can see like why you can get to a conclusion about like why they're talking to you about that particular subject and what what their ultimate goal is with it
0: Do you guys see a responsibility for someone who's like in the fitness industry As far as like, maybe not calling out, because I think that's the wrong way to look at it. But like, perhaps like debunking myths based around common fallacies you see in nutrition. And I guess where do you draw the line, right? Like, a lot of people operate sort of under the radar of like, well, you know, they're not really doing any harm. You know, they're just trying to trying to make a buck on Instagram with like a fit tea but where do you start to draw the line between like, okay, this is now harmful. Like you're, you're establishing bad habits or bad relationships around food that when you guys have to unpack this with your clients that inevitably end up at your doorstep as coaches, it's like, where do you guys see your role as far as not just educating preemptively, but also like maybe reactively as well, going like, okay, maybe carnivore is not the best, maybe keto is not the best, and like speaking openly about that.
1: Well, we kind of just let them know what the fundamentals are, like what's actually important. What's important is, you know, your overall calorie intake. Are you in a surplus or in a deficit? If you're in a deficit, you know, there's less health concerns involved with sugar, carbohydrates, having too much fat, so long as, again, if we go up the totem pole, it goes calories, macronutrients, then food composition, then micronutrients, and I think that's about it. But... You explain to them what it's actually important, what's more important, and it's your overall calorie intake. And then after that it's protein. After explaining that, you kind of, you know, educate them in what's that there's no extremes. Whoever's saying there's an extreme, or whatever extremes there are, it's somewhere in the middle. You know, somebody's saying keto, someone's saying low carb or uh, high carb, it's in the middle there. And kind of getting that idea to them kind of helps them make that educated decision themselves. Like Steph said, it allows them to critically think about what that person's selling, what agenda do they have, uh, and what's actually true.
2: I think also the advantage that some of these extreme diets have is that they almost present themselves like you're, by by being involved with them, you're in on a secret. And I think it's just like any sort of conspiracy documentary or whatever. You wanna believe that these things are true because you're like, oh this is a cool thing that I'm in on that other people are not in on yet, or the, the, the vast majority of people are not in on yet. And it's counter to what most people think there's some sort of like level of, of attraction to that. So it's sexy. yeah. So it's like, Oh, this very extreme thing, it's got a very clear direction as well. So it's like, you can dive all in on carnivore. I'm just going to eat straight meat, you know, or you can dive all in on plant-based or any one of those extreme diets. And it's a lot harder to sell to people the reality that I think everyone really knows deep down that balance is is the ideal.
1: Moderation. It's not sexy. It's not fun. It's not easy.
3: Yeah, and ultimately is finding something that's sustainable for you in the long run, right? Because cutting or losing weight or gaining weight, whatever, in a short period of time is relatively easy. It's not easy, but with the right guidance, it's relatively easy. But it's how do you transition into being able to have those same habits or that same lifestyle or that same weight for a long period of time right
0: now what are the biggest like psychological barriers you guys have to deal with in overcoming like fear around food and like poor relationships with food with incoming clients
1: just different social situations people don't know how to go into them you know they they have this black and white mentality they're either on or they're off the diet and that's a you know a barrier or an obstacle that we have to slowly break down like No, it's okay. Like, you're human. You're allowed to go off the diet. And what does that even look like? You know, did you eat everything? Are you really off the diet? Or can we just get back on the next day? You know, it's just thinking long term and getting them to feel more comfortable in the situations and, you know, realizing what sort of environmental pressures or, you know, uh, food cues are around them or social pressures um, are around them that are going to force them to to eat um, certain foods and make them be aware of that so that they can have a plan in place like, oh, you know what? Seeing the ice cream there is going to make me want to eat it. Now that I know about the ice cream being there, I can make a different decision because now I'm conscious of it, I'm I'm in control.
2: Yeah, little things like just making uh, those trigger foods less accessible. You made a good comment when you came into our house and you saw the way things were set up. For you especially, a lot of trigger foods, they're on shelves that... Steph can't reach.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Are <they> serious? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh my God. So,
2: you know, if, if, you know, if it's just her at home and she sees them, she's like, oh, do I really want to go get a stool and do this? Or ask Hayden. And, Kaden, and ask then fess up that I want something that I yeah. shouldn't be eating. So it's just building those like, wait, hold on, what, what's your, what's your thing? Does she Kirk? have like a lock? Like, thing? Yeah, does she have like a His lock thing? to oh. a box? Or trigger food ask?
3: is everything.
2: I mean, I can, yeah, I can go hard on anything, but <laughs> um, I mean, Carrot cake's probably my my one thing. But it's like but that's easy the, to keep out of the house. Yeah, you, yeah, have, you have to go out of your way. Buy like, it. like
0: there's nothing and I'm bigger than her. She can't stop me from eating anything. Like what's Again? what's what's well, your you
3: just don't buy it.
0: That's yeah. my biggest thing. Because yeah. I'm kinda like what you said with like floodgates. Like I watch this hostel. It's what <laughs> time? What time is it? It's like, so like, like noon? noon, 12.30? You were Four getting 30. into the Halloween chocolate. I had one. After, yeah, but what that's, have one but every that's time the time big I big difference. Quiet. That's the yeah. big difference. So I go one, I'm like, excuse me a second, and I run to the bathroom with it, and I just sit
1: there. <laughs> You're done in there yeah, in a minute, and I'll eat the whole fucking bag. <laughs> you see why, and Steph kind of alluded to it, or you did, by who's gonna stop you, it's, it's the social pressures, there's people here. You know, I'm not gonna eat the whole fucking bag because I have eyes on me. Yeah. It's awkward, it's weird. People are gonna look at me, I'm gonna be judged. And those are the kinds of things that you can use to your advantage as well. Dude, Marcus's
0: engagement party, that rat, that thing of lamb, I almost made a straight shot for the elevator. Like, had the Uber <laughs> ready to go. I fucking hate eating in public because I can put back, and like, and I need to eat more than most people, being like on the heavier side. But I under-eat in social situations because I know people look at me going like, oh yeah, like you're in airports. Like yeah, you go to like the lounge, you're waiting for your flight, and it's like. I know I should probably murder half this tray of chicken right now just because I have like eight hours where I'm not going to eat anything. And I can feel the eyes when I stand up like, all right, well, there goes all the fucking food. And I'm like, all right, well, there's a there's a quinoa salad bowl. I'm going to sit the fuck back down and kill everyone else in the Delta lounge. But on
1: the other side of the spectrum, you go out to eat with your friends. You know, it's girls' night, whatever. And uh, it's. Okay, guys' night. (laughs) It's girls' night. We're taking (laughs) back brews. I mean, I wouldn't partake. I'm not (laughs) a big beer drinker, but like it encourages drinking. Everybody, one person orders a glass. They look over at the next person. Oh, I guess I should also drink. You know, those kinds of things. That kind of pressure as well is is there and it forces you to indulge, in those are things to be conscious of. Like, maybe I shouldn't be that in that situation, or maybe I should talk to the, you know, ask for support, or let people know that you don't have to tell anybody you're tracking calories or macros if that's your plan, but let them know you're trying to make better decisions. That way, you don't feel so pressured to, you know, have a whole bottle of wine or have the appetizers. There's like a, there's like a study out there. I can't tell you who wrote it, but it's basically for every person... Um, that is at the table, every extra person you consume an extra 200 calories. Now that sounds crazy, but you know, we went out to dinner last night. Um, you know, Hayden ordered some sort of chicken wings or duck wings, duck wings. wings. Okay. Steph didn't order them. She wouldn't have had them if Hayden didn't order them. He ordered them. What did she do? She ran over there and stole a few. That's 200 extra calories that Steph would not have consumed if Hayden didn't order them. And then the cake came around. And then the cake came around. And then she crawled over my shoulder. Now who would have ordered that cake? somebody at the table and it would have gotten shared or encouraged someone else to order more. Those are things to just be aware of. That way you can you know plan ahead. And that has nothing to do with calorie tracking. It's just knowing what kind of decision-making you make, under different you know situations what influences your food decision making behavior
0: well let's talk about calorie tracking because like i've done the my fitness pal thing and i've thrown I've, that's why my phone is so busted that's why the <laughs> one on that so there's a new one on the left that doesn't have my fitness pal in it and there's <laughs> an older one on the right that has my fitness pal in it and has about 17 pieces of sh- like sharp serrated glass on the back of it because i've thrown my fucking phone from entering my macros. <laughs> how do you start to find balance like like in you know, if you push macros out of the gate so people can track their intake, how do you then pull that back and just make that a part of their lifestyle? Cause that was like if I wasn't tracked, if it wasn't measured, it wasn't managed. So it was like, all right, I, I had days when I like followed it to a T and I sent it to my coach and it was like, Okay, good job, gold star. And then I had days where it was like, Oh fuck, what did I eat? How many portions was that? What's an ounce? Like and mm-hmm. then, then it became like a fixation. I was like, Okay, this isn't this is this is a burden now. This is another yeah, stress, a stress in my life. It's yeah. not a,
1: it's no longer yeah. helpful for you. Yeah. And like everybody, I think should track at least for a few weeks to get an understanding of what they're consuming, what they've been consuming, and just get an understanding of the different calories in different foods. You know, like when did you like know how many calories in a bowl of cereal or a protein bar? Like you had no idea,
2: well, right? I, I remember when I when I first started tracking years ago. My go-to meal when I would come home from school was literally the largest bowl of pasta that I could physically eat. I would get to a point of discomfort, honestly, and then go lie on the couch and just lie there till I could function again. And, you know, I was like, oh, that's totally a normal thing to do. Until I started tracking, I'm like, damn, that's like, I'm eating like 150 carbs in pasta in one sitting. It's only
1: like a thousand calories you just put back.
2: Yeah, exactly. So I, I, I like what you said that I think everyone should do it at some point, but where I think the industry has gone a little too far in the tracking direction is that they're saying that's a lot of people are saying that that's the only way to do it. You saw that with the IFYM craze, people eating all their carbs and pop tarts and all that nonsense. Luckily there's a lot more voices in the industry that are, are correcting that. But I think that we should look at tracking as one of many tools that we have in our, our arsenal of things uh, that we have access to, mm-hmm. to to form better habits.
3: The way I see it is tracking is almost like the starting point. It shouldn't be seen as the journey or the destination. It's just the starting point to dieting. It's like dieting 101. Know what your calorie requirements are. Know how much you consume in a day know what a portion size is for rice, know how many carbs there are in rice or in the foods that you eat the most often. You know, It's just kind of like a starting point. And although it is super annoying for most people and it is cumbersome and it's a lot of work, at the beginning, I think it pays off to do it for several weeks, a couple months maybe. Um, but just look at it like that. It's just the first thing that you need to do. Uh-huh. And then you'll transition to something different that is more sustainable in the long run that doesn't stress you out, that doesn't take so much time.
2: For sure, and, and you also have to be realistic with your approach in the beginning too, right? It's like, look at anything that's difficult. You know, Chesco is doing the equivalent of quantum physics in dieting, but you're not gonna take somebody who's never learned addition and be like, hey, why don't you jump in there with Chesco and solve this <laughs> this problem? It makes no sense, right? So tracking is, is the first step to understanding, you know, what it takes to build up to, to someone yeah. who can now realistically, intuitively eat. You can look at a serving size of meat and say, Oh, that looks like about this much. I know roughly how many car or protein and fats in it. You know, I know how much I've been eating the rest of the day. And you can have the freedom to make choices on the go instead of jumping into your phone every two seconds to check if something fits.
3: But it's intuitive based on objective. On an objective amount of calorie that you've measured and tracked in the past, right? That's a good
2: understanding for it.
3: Because yeah. there's, I think, there's a misconception about what intuitive eating is, right? Like people think intuitive eating is to eat when you're hungry until you're satisfied. And I mean, there's a lot of things going on in your brain and hormones that trick you into thinking that you should be eating when you shouldn't, or that you should be eating more when you should be eating less. You know what I mean?
1: And that's what I was talking about before, like what sort of things influence your food choices and your behaviors mm-hmm. and you're right intuitive eating it's difficult because you have to understand you know that hunger is often lying to you or maybe you know the, your your hunger signals are triggered by you know again for me the candy that was in the the, the the office there i wasn't actually hungry i didn't feel like i had it i needed it right beforehand but seeing it i'm hungry i yeah. want it and if i didn't if you guys weren't there i would have intuitively ate the whole bag <laughs> you know everybody wants to intuitively eat. and if we're being honest Everybody's already – who people who don't track or are following any sort of principle eating, you're already intuitively eating. You're just intuitively eating not in a way that's not in line with your goals. Um, and that's where kind of people kind of get lost. But to sum up where, where tracking takes you, it's an awareness of portion sizes, the different amount of calories in different foods – and it gets you to understand what your food habits have been. You don't know, uh, like, what you've been eating. Like, do you remember what you ate yesterday or the day before? I mean, you're traveling, so it's a little bit more difficult. But people have no idea. Now you have a food diary, and you can go back and see what your food habits are. How many foods you're actually eating in each day. I mean, everybody's already eating the same 8 to 12 food choices every single day in and out. Again, you're a different case because you're traveling. But at least now you can understand where those calories are coming from, why you're not gaining weight, or why you're losing weight, Or you're, you know, you're just weight, maintaining your weight, weight neutral.
3: This whole conversation really started at home when I was preparing my breakfast, my usual breakfast, what I always have, my oatmeal with frozen berries and a scoop of animal protein powder. Um, And I told Chesco, I'm like, man, I think that one of the reasons why I feel like the the hybrid nutrition message isn't getting through as well as the training is because people aren't looking at me living the lifestyle. And Chesco goes, "What do you mean? Like you are living the lifestyle. Look at your breakfast." And I'm like, "Yeah, but I didn't truly track it. I didn't measure how many g- grams of oatmeal I had or how many grams of mm-hmm. berries I put in there. I'm not truly like living the IIFYM lifestyle." Yeah, but you- that's the you-
1: life we want, or but that's how we, not- want. Yeah. And we he want made such a
3: great point. Like I, I almost felt guilty about not tracking for the longest time because I felt disingenuous selling a service that is centered around tracking, at least for the for the for the first little while, when I'm not following it myself. But you're right. Like it, it, go. It. How many years did I track before I was able to yeah, understand? You earned
2: but... the luxury of not having to track. Exactly. It's very different than just eating whatever you want, whenever you want, with no concept of of how that's affecting your goals. You know, you, you everything you do is calculated.
1: But like uh, my point with you in the house was like you didn't earn the ability to not track because you tracked. You earned it because you ingrained new behaviors. You know, you changed up your environment. I went through your whole kitchen with you, and we look around. There's no food on your counters. You can't see anything visible. There's none of those food cues. The fridge is, is closed. Obviously, the cupboards are super big and, and high. Like, all your foods are super high up. Like I said, you have to get Hayden or you have to get a chair and, you know, possibly be ridiculed because, you know, little Seth can't get her snack. Um, <laughs> but, like, there, there's nothing in there. And I open the cupboards. There's, like, I don't know. Hayden has a whole bunch of weird... Uh, Different versions of granola. There's like six different bags of different flavors that I didn't even know what to do with, and here I am. I love a snack. Couldn't find anything. Open the fridge, like there's just fresh vegetables. It's difficult. Like how are you gonna intuitively gain weight in there? You just can't. And it's so I look at the way she prepares her meals. There's a protein. There's a carb source, and there's micronutrients, and that's the fundamentals. That's how you intuitively eat. You have to make sure you have protein. Carbohydrates, or those you can go without, but definitely macronutrients, which are going to be your fruits and vegetables, and that's what's going to get you to stay satiated and not, you know, fall into the oh, you know, I was really hungry, so I, I my body told me I needed this. Your body told you needed that because you're not eating around your appetite, and you have these food these, these things that are influencing your food behaviors. You know, yeah, I think
0: it's a lot like training, right? Like I'm to the point now where it's like, yeah, like. I'm and distribute programming and stuff like that like just like nutrition like where you feel disingenuous but it's like you get to the point where it's like i can keep an inventory over my training it's like i went we squatted yesterday and like i knew based off the travel i did and my training session last time and like where my squats have been the last couple of weeks it's like here's a rough estimate of where i need to be now for years it was like either rpe based scaling or some sort of tracking system of my strength where it's like okay linear or block, or undulated, or you're using RPEs, or you're using like prelipin charts, or whatever you want to do. But now I know, an almost an intuitive way of training, but it's intuitive based off of years of objective calculations of like, okay, this is where my strength is. Like, I'm not going to eat a salad one day and go like, oh, why aren't I lean tomorrow? Just like I'm not going to like bench heavy one day and go, why aren't I bigger or stronger the next day?
2: And it okay. wasn't until I
0: started looking at it through that lens, like it's pretty much the same thing. It's like the goal isn't to be dependent, like technology is a good tool, but a better master. And I think what a lot of people do is they ruin the subjective experience of food by objectifying it too long. Like I love going out to dinner and not having to worry about, like, I'm to the point where like I've worked with you guys enough to know, like, okay, if I'm going to go out to this restaurant, it's Italian, it's so, okay. I'm probably not going to have as many carbs earlier in the day because Italian food has a lot of carbs and probably some more fat. And mm-hmm. so like, I'll, I'll regulate my intake based off that similar to like what I would do with training and just being able to keep an active inventory. Like what gets me now is like the step counter thing. Cause like, I like walking all, like most people don't look at me and think that, but I'm just like it again, mm-hmm. it's just like going outside cause you just grew up outside. But I see people like pacing around with step counters going, what the fuck are you doing, man? Like you're ruining the subjective experience by chasing an objective number.
2: Yeah, I think, I mean, again, it's a tool that we can add to the arsenal to create an overall healthier lifestyle, do I think that you should be glued to your step counter and and you know going out of your way to to build your day around getting steps in? No, but if you can ha- wear a step counter and it's a it's a reminder to you to be more active, so you take an extra walk. You know you you instead of sending your dogs in the backyard, you take them out on a walk, or you you know you get up when you when you're bored or you have time uh, where you need a break at work instead of taking a nap. You know, those are little things that can, can go a long way when you take somebody who's getting 5,000 steps a day and now just through a few little reminders they're getting 10,000 steps a day or 12,000 steps a day, which seems like a big number, but it's totally realistic and, and, and manageable to maintain. That's, that's something that can make a big impact on your overall health long term it's a lot more uh,
3: and your weight loss and your yeah, weight loss we'll talk easier. let's talk about that after too yeah. but I think ultimately is about how do you how you utilize the tools to change your 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 uh, lifestyle right yeah. like before we started using the Fitbit we we maybe got like 3,000 steps a day yeah then we started using the Fitbit we've got up to 10 twelve thousand steps a day but we learned about like kind of how many walks we need to take and how long they need to be in order for us to reach that step count or even how much we need to walk inside the gym or whatever right
1: but the biggest thing there was that you were now aware of what your previous habits were mm-hmm. i mean you you didn't know you had no idea that you were only getting three thousand steps a day and like like you could do that just walking around the gym during your workout that's not a whole lot of activity it made yeah. you aware yeah. and it goes right back to tracking it's the same thing just yeah going i don't to use the fitbit anymore yeah because now you've ingrained those habits and then you get those steps like whatever way or without the that you don't know, you don't exactly. need
2: anything. I, I think ingrained behavior. an important distinction to make is that what people think is intuition is not really intuition. Your intuition is built up of all the little bits and pieces of information that you've been taught or things that you've heard over your lifetime. So you ask somebody if they think they have a healthy diet, they're automatically going to think back on what they've been told a healthy diet con- constitutes a healthy diet. And they'll tell you, yes. And then they tell you what you're eating. And you're like, the reality might surprise you. Or you ask somebody if they're active. How many people tell you that they're active people when in reality, they're going to the gym for an hour, four days a week or five days a week. Like that's a very, very, very small and concentrated level of activity that doesn't make you an active person. So I think like you said, it's understanding your old habits and how you change them that allow you to create a better understanding and a new level of intuition whereas if you just go based on what you feel based on zero context that intuition is nothing that's why there's an obesity epidemic yeah. and that's why so many uh health issues the instance of health issues are rising is because intuition left unchecked is not good it's so not, the new the goal
1: is is to get them to a new level of intuition that is in line with their goals that is sustainable and that's the big mm-hmm. key, like what's actually realistic? What can you actually do? And how can we work towards that? Or what's realistic now? And let's build on that. Like for the example that Hayden said, like 5,000 to 10,000, it doesn't sound like a lot, but someone that's been sitting down all day doesn't have anything to do, that's a whole lot. Let's start at 7,500 and then work your way up. And then once they're starting to move more, yeah, okay, we don't maybe we don't need the Fitbit if it's making you fucking neurotic or you have to look at it or like you have to get out of bed or you're about to go to bed you see you're only at 9000, you're going to get up and do another 1000. Maybe we stop using the Fitbit. Or you know, we we address that like but we have to have those conversations. And like for me, like last time I was here in uh, Miami, um I was running on like 4 hours of sleep and I knew that my Fitbit was tracking it. I refused to look at that that the number of hours of sleep because I knew that would get in my head. You know, I could either wake up and tell myself I'm feeling good or see the number and like, oh, I know if I get less than seven hours of sleep, I'm going to feel like trash. If I look at it, it's going to make things worse. Refuse to look at it. I looked at it three weeks later when I got back and I'm like, how did I survive? But like, you have to know that about yourself. Like what those objective measures are going to do for you. Like this is unrelated, but related, but the scale for some people, that's a trigger. And that's something we can work on. But if, you know, seeing the number that you, that you weigh each day, is a trigger maybe get someone else to write it down for you sort of thing or maybe we don't use that that sort of thing like data is great but some people just can't handle it
0: what's well, only useful is going to change your behavior for the positive right mm-hmm. it's no different than someone. like you can hey, explain that
1: and people still have the preconceived notion like this is, number means this mm-hmm. i failed or this isn't good you know and sometimes you just can't you know you have to pick and choose your battles
0: yeah well i mean don't use I and mean, we we will talk about this in clinical setting where it's like you don't use advanced imaging unless it's going to change the treatment outcome. Like, if the outcome is still going to be like, all right, we'll just try and do better next week, then it doesn't really matter in the short term as long as it's trending in the in long term in the right direction. You want to talk about weight loss?
3: Weight loss and... In um, regards to steps. Steps, yeah. So let's talk about uh, NEAT.
0: Yeah, that's sort of a buzzword. NEAT, I just... What non, What is it? Non exercise activity, activity thermogenesis, thermogenesis
1: which is kind of funny. Like, you hear people say, Neat, it's not exercise, but here you are going on purposeful walks trying to burn calories. That sounds like exercise, yeah. which is fine. That's it's a different semantics. argument, but you know, it's a big part. Like, people don't realize that you have way more potential to burn calories throughout the day than you do in that what 30 minutes or two hours in the gym. I mean, being a powerlifter, I maybe do five to six reps, you know, maybe accessories 10 to 12, and that takes me 30 seconds. Then the rest of my time sitting on my phone, you know? I'm burning maybe a hundred, hundred and thirty calories. It's not a whole lot. People estimate five hundred. Their Fitbits are tracking it. Tells them they burn six hundred calories. Not happening. You know, you can get up, move around, and you can burn I, I think the the for I think they say like ten thousand steps like it's about 500 to 1,000 calories extra per day that you're burning, depending on the person, your size, genetics, and, you know, male, female, all those things. It determines that. But it that's about the number that you get, 500 to 1,000. That, that you is don't so have to much. Do. That's
3: yeah, significant. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah. If you can either eat that for, for performance, right, you can have an extra 500 calories to fuel your workouts or whatever. And not to fuel your workouts still you can have 500 extra calories just by moving well, around more if you're eating quality day, foods too quality it foods. goes
2: beyond the calories it's a lot of extra micronutrients that you can be getting in that's going to help your recovery and training and which is important when you're in health. a big deficit
1: yeah. yeah you know hayden we were walking over to watch the fight the other night and i didn't want to walk anymore it was really late i was really tired and hayden looks over at me and, and he's like don't you like to get steps in like or don't you want to hit a number or something i'm like no, no no i get steps in because it makes me feel better as a person i feel more productive me getting steps or hitting a certain number is just a result of me doing that and that should be the goal for everybody like there's more benefits than just calories here you know you feel like psychologically better i return to work more productive i feel like i'm a better person i'm more relaxed uh just because i'm, I'm getting up and moving around like it's just i feel better it's also i try to tell my clients and myself like this is time for me to be by myself reflect or you know just put on a podcast put on a good playlist and just jam out, be by myself. And that's really valuable. And that you'll see in your performance. That's a stress reliever. That's a big like modality right there that people aren't taking advantage of. And if you can get people to see it as more than just a way to burn extra calories, they'll be more incentivized to, to move. Or like you said, like instead of being hung up on the number or trying to hit a certain number, they're now just looking to do it for themselves for other benefits.
2: Yeah, there's, there's a constant theme here, I think, with everything that we preach. And it's what we the same thing we said about Uh, flexible dieting, that we're always looking for an approach that can make a positive impact where you're changing your, uh, or you're, you're you're adding behaviors around your existing lifestyle instead of trying to flip your lifestyle upside down and force these unsustainable behaviors. So I think it's really important the way that people look at it like that, like the correction you made to me when we were walking to the fight was, yeah, you, you walk because you like it. And, and because it's something that fits with your lifestyle but it, you're not going crazy you're not you're not diving so deep into that that your daily habits are are influenced are influenced by, by yeah how many steps you're going to get in
3: here's what i think the biggest challenge is is actually being able to change your lifestyle and your habits because like i was saying it's like people are looking for that quick and easy fix but the reality is that there is no quick and easy fix right like damn it huh damn it. gosh darn it <laughs> So it's like how do you change people's minds into, hey, you know, you have a goal. You're going to have to work hard for that goal. And you're going to have to make some significant changes in your life to sustain them, right? It's like remember that conversation that we had with my with my stepdad, with Matt? I was asking him about because he was telling me that he switched uh, sleeping pills because the one that he had before wasn't working anymore. And I'm like, oh, okay, so you're struggling with having high-quality sleep. Like how much sunlight do you get a day? He lives in Chicago and I know it's hard. It's, it's dark most of the year, whatever. But like I asked him how much sunlight he's getting a day. He said, none. I'm like, how about you just walk to, it's in the middle of summer. How about you like walk to work or, or at least walk a couple of blocks. So you get 10 minutes of sunlight exposure. And he was so resistant to it. Remember he was so hung up on going back to the doctor and getting a stronger sleeping pill. It's like People aren't even willing to put in, like, the minimum amount of work to improve their health. and, and, and It's
2: like that Louis C quote, uh, C.K. quote about taking the next left. <laughs> it's not oh, my yeah. favorite yeah, way. It's not my favorite <laughs> way, though. It's Oftentimes your favorite way isn't the way that's going to be the best for you. I'm Same sure. thing
3: for steps. I'm like, so how active are you when you're in the office? No, I'm not active at all. I sit, I sit for eight hours a day. And I'm like, how about maybe, like, every hour and a half you take a 10-minute walk? Or a five-minute walk, like maybe go up and down stairs or just go. Or around. even start
2: smaller than that if that seems like a, a big. Uh, or three for
3: minutes, you.
2: yeah. Yeah. Or or you add two walks a day if you're yeah. doing zero. Or, yeah. You know. One thing that I
1: try to suggest to clients is like tying it to something. You know, you have your water bottle, drink it. And use it as an excuse to get more water and go to the water fountain. That's another way to get more steps, tying it to other things. Now you're drinking more water, maybe you have to use the bathroom more. Let's go to the bathroom more often. Like just tying it into simple ways that they can kind of relate to and understand. That's very easy for them to do. Go fill up your fucking water bottle. Get a small water bottle. Make it as small as possible. That way you have to keep going back up. Don't let that thing be empty. Like Just finding ways for them to make it easier breaking down those obstacles those i barriers. think like
0: starting from the goal to me is always like what a lot of people miss we've had this conversation in the past because you you read was it was a jocko right this one is freedom yeah yeah which is like i've gotten into as much as i can like, tolerate like, um, well no but the, the quote is discipline is freedom i think as much as i can tolerate fights on the internet these days which <laughs> is very minimal but it's like i i don't like the idea of discipline. It's like you either love the outcome or the process of whatever you're doing enough to do the things that are necessary to get it, right? So it's Mm -hmm.
2: like- Isn't that discipline?
0: Well, no, it, that's, the discipline is like doing things that you don't like to do and forcing yourself to do it. But I don't think discipline is necessarily sustainable. We could be getting into the weeds a little bit as far as semantics of the way people word it. And like, you know, I wasn't in a foxhole overseas. I've never killed anyone. So I come at it from a very Pussy. different narrative, right? <laughs> like, I'm not, like, intense as Jocko is by any stretch of the imagination. So I think it's just, like, with training, like, people will be, like, you know, how many times do you get told like, oh, you guys are so disciplined with your training. Like people see you guys in public and the way you look like, oh, you must be so disciplined. It's like, no, no, they just love to train. Mm -hmm. There's no discipline. If anything, it's getting these fucking kids to not train. That's the hard bit, right? That's maybe where discipline comes in. But your discipline in that comes from the fact that you love being big and strong and lean and, and competing and winning and all that. So it's like, you know that you have to take rest days to do that. Right. So I think a lot of people, they don't have a goal that they, love the outcome more than they love the visceral satisfaction of food consumption. So then getting clear on that, is that a difficult part with clients? I know people who just don't have goals
2: they are passionate well, about anything. We were just talking about this the other day, 100% or well, not 100%, but a very large percentage of people that come to us will tell us that their main goal is X. usually get, get stronger. And then their sub goal is improve their body composition. And I don't care if you're a powerlifter, lifter, bodybuilder, whoever you are that's coming to us, if you get to the end of whatever process that we have with you and you don't look better, you're not going to be happy. Yeah. And that means your main goal was to look better.
1: Everybody so, signs up with a different goal, but yeah. underlying it's look better naked. That's what it is.
2: Yeah, yeah. Everybody Everybody's wants to look, to look better. better naked. They can put 50 pounds on their total, 100 pounds on their total. If they don't have abs when they leave us,
3: not we're getting a we bad did review. wrong.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's a lot of it is just, is like you said, then... Them either not having a, a clear goal or them convincing themselves that their goal is something and we sort of have to read between the lines We're never setting goals for a client but there's definitely ways in their in, in their language and how they present their goals that that tell us what the real underlying factors are
0: yeah but the thing with goal setting is once you've defined it clear enough you def- you've by extension of that defined the parameters of failure. I think that's what a lot of people are afraid of, because that's I think the biggest fear is they don't want to fail, and you can never really fail if you don't have clear goals, right? Or the yeah, and I think that's where a lot of people like don't take responsibility, because honestly, in a world where I don't think it's that difficult, right? Like for a lot of people, people know what to do, but they they want to be told what to do. And they want to be told what to do with, by a community, by a thought process, by a quick fix, by having that inside that and, inside and reassured along the way that each step that they're taking
2: is the right thing to do.
0: Yeah. But what you guys are doing is you're putting the onus and responsibility back in their hands, which is like, I mean, oh, I mean sure, a bowl, but boom. you know,
1: why are they failing? You know, it's important as a coach to ask those questions. Like what's stopping you? Why did that? Why was that an issue? And if that issue wasn't there anymore, would that have still happened?